everyone and welcome to battle of the atom this is the premier x-men podcast where i zach jenkins and my host adam Reck, go through three count them three different x-men stories and then we 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 put them to the test we put them to the test to figure out who's the best who's the worst try and rank all the x-men stories ever adam how are you doing this day I am great, and I am uh, very excited to jump into the alternate dimension that we are uh, journeying to today, and uh, <laughs> it, it really is one of my favorites, so yeah. I'm excited about this. Yeah, we today are going to talk about the one, the only, Mojo, his gelatinousness, his spinelessness one. I can't think of a lot of phrases that go with Mojo. He's a very <laughs> angry man. He's... He's the guy that you thought was going to show up in uh, in Legion and oh, didn't. Oh man, yeah, okay. I got really excited about that. That didn't that didn't go through. You had me convinced. I was like, it's gonna okay, be Mojo. Well, based oh, on the wait. first couple of episodes, in my defense, there is a lot of evidence pointing to it, a- including using the name Yellow Eyes, which is a name that Mojo used in Spurrier's X Force run. I assume that Noah Hawley from Legion did not read that kind of obscure kind of weird run of x-men which is an awesome awesome run i, I love that run and uh he you know in your defense the the character does also he's kind a, of look like a Mojo, jaundiced you know? lobby kind of man but that wasn't wow. him but yeah. we're actually not talking about yeah. anything but mojo today i guess that's right we're gonna, we're gonna and focus that the reason for that is because of a story picked by Patreon backer Nur Ravel. And I hope I pronounced that right, Nur. If not, uh, yell at me. And it's fine. I can correct (laughs) it in a different episode, I guess. But he requested a mojo story. A odd mojo story. And we decided to theme the episode around it. This one's weird. Yeah. So this is Astonishing Tales Mojoverse, which some people might not be familiar with. But it has a very interesting pedigree. It's written by Jonathan Hickman, who also does some art on all of the 616 stuff, not the Mojoverse stuff, with pencils by Nick Patara. Adam, what do you know about Jonathan Hickman? What do, what do you know about what do you know about <laughs> Jonathan Hickman? <laughs> I, this is such a weird uh, thing to look at because, you know, I think many of us know Hickman because of his epic run uh, at Marvel that um, I know I've I think I've read all of with the exception of the uh, unfinished Secret Warriors stuff. Um, so the entire Fast, Fantastic Four and Future Foundation um, and then jumping into uh, Avengers, New Avengers, Infinity, and then, uh, of course, Secret Wars. So that's where I'm coming from. So reading this, which is, uh, as when we get into it, you'll see, is very weird. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a departure from yeah, what we're this used is, to. Uh, this is one of Hickman's first works at Marvel. 
he was doing Secret Warriors uh, that started with Brian Michael Bendis, and he did this in an anthology book around the same time. And just to point out, because I know someone's going to be sitting at their computer right now saying, well, actually, yes, uh, it was S.H.I.E.L.D. that's not finished. Secret Warriors did finish. You're wrong. Um, Look, oh, sorry. If I didn't, if, if I didn't do it, someone else would have. And now they feel vindicated. <laughs> Sitting there like, oh, look, I know uh, Jonathan Hickman's stuff better than Adam. Yeah, and that's fine. I just, um, I were calling back to the Inferno episode and I realized that I referred to uh, Ileana as the Dark Child. Instead of the Dark Child, I referred to her as the Goblin Queen. So, yeah, I, I make mistakes. Yeah, I missed that yeah, one. It happens. That's my bad. <laughs> ah, but yeah, so this this has a weird pedigree with Jonathan Hickman and just his future because this is a story he did with uh, Nick Patara, who he is still doing the Manhattan Projects for Image with. So this started that. This mm-hmm. also is him writing Bobby and Sam, Sunspot, and Cannonball, who he would later bring into his Avengers run and make them full-fledged Avengers. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting comparing... it's great to know that this is like early Hickman because I I want to get into that a little bit in terms of his approach here. Um, But reading this Bobby and Sam versus where we get Bobby and Sam and Avengers is so radically different. Um, You know, there's, there's clearly a difference in perspective and age in approaching the characters. um, And as a writer, Hickman, Hickman grows up pretty quick after this, because this, this is a bit of a juvenile story. End of the day, it it really is. This is uh, for those of you who haven't read this, and go go on Marvel Unlimited and find this because it's a lot of fun to read. Uh, but this is mm-hmm. Cannonball and Sunspot get brought into the Mojoverse, and they uh, make a deal with Mojo that instead of doing his normal Mojoy torture stuff, uh, they're just going to be movie producers for him, and they start just doing riffs on a bunch of Hollywood stuff. <laughs> yeah and to to make that deal um they actually have to go you know they have to write a contract there's riffs on the um the big writer strike uh from around the time that this was written um there's all of these plays on on uh television game shows uh like family feud and board games like battleship and by the time we get to the like later parts of this, um, Nick's art is is really fantastic. It's almost like looking at where's Waldo pages. Mojo himself is very unique in the way he's depicted here. He looks kind of like um, he's pieced together mm-hmm. by all these like a patchwork quilt of Jello blob grossness. A lot of little tumors, a lot of little Mojo tumors on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I I really mm-hmm. do enjoy this. I really did enjoy this story when I read it. I don't think it's perfect. In fact, I think there there's uh, no. there's one section where I <laughs> struggle with my reaction to it. It's I I want to say it is the fourth issue in this. Yeah, I think I it's think a you're wedding right. crashers riff. It's a wedding crashers riff all about trying to get mm-hmm. Mojo laid, which is uncomfortable on several levels. Uh huh. I'm glad you brought this up because there's there's just an entire page where Mojo is basically like requesting <laughs> to, you know, get hooked up with somebody for that sole purpose. And then it I guess it comes down to Sam pays off Electra to like 
have sex with Mojo, but then she thinks that she's also required to assassinate him. It's a weird, and you know, like we talked, I think we mentioned briefly that there, there's like a ju- mm-hmm. juvenile quality to this story. Um, in, in its good way, it's fun and it's kind of light and it has a really good sense of humor that pays off, especially there's a whole riff at the end of this series with uh, joking about Magnum PI and how Tom Selleck was supposed to be Indiana Jones that yes. really pays off and is very funny and true to character. But this is also of a sort of Judd Apatow era comedy viewpoint and this that that particular issue just skip it you know it it's got a, a weird vibe to it that's very gross um and uh doesn't doesn't it age well doesn't however i cuz i i was reading that and i was like i got to that issue and i was a little uncomfortable with it now there's some funny stuff in it there's one panel where mojo just says and i cracked up laughing when i saw that but, like, that panel gets laughs, but there's a lot of stuff that follow it that's, again, exactly what you're saying, very Judd Apatow-like, like, uncomfortable. How And I, I didn't like the issue. I thought that was kind of out of place. But you do get to the end of that issue, and Hickman makes a point to have Sam and Bobby sit down and talk to each other and say, are we being kind of immature? Are we is – is this right? Are we doing the right thing here? Because it seems like we're not growing up and we're not being like the people we should be. Yeah, there's definitely character depth here. I just think, um, just a quick side note, I think it's interesting that there's a little bit, I've never seen any Hickman art before. I've seen some of his covers before, but um, he's kind of got a Sienkiewicz Mm -hmm. quality to the, like what he's doing. Um, But the only reason I bring that up is because there's sort of an overarching bookend of this of like, um, oh, vacation equals booze and girls. And, you know, there's definitely kind of a frat boy sensibility that he's bringing to the characters, which, you know, given what their age is supposed to be at this part in the timeline, I don't know that it's like completely misguided. Well, I mean, and given that Roberto is Roberto, like this is a weird, fun artifact. Mm -hmm. It's not the most important thing in the world. It's not incredibly relevant. Like you could, you could go through all of your X-Men stuff and this is just a weird little set of backups, but I, I think there's a lot to enjoy in it. And you mentioned it earlier, but the uh, Magnum PI payoff at the end, I dropped my iPad and started clapping when I saw that that's how they were going to resolve it because it's it's fabulous it was great that they handled it that way and the actual resolution to the story the way that you know bobby and sam win it's a very hickman thing and he it's actually something he goes back to in his avengers run which i thought was pretty clever like he knew that was such a good idea it it factors into um sunspot's wealth helps him uh, essentially be able to buy aim yep. later there is some continuity here and i i gotta say you know i know this is also you know just kind of like a silly side story but at the same time when i heard that this existed i was like mm-hmm. i gotta find this um just knowing that hickman did a mojo world thing with sam and bobby as a new mutants fan i was like oh, i gotta check this if out the this type seems of really X-Men cool fan who's listening to this x-men podcast about weird x-men things you're probably the target market for this mm-hmm. book you're looking for this right now i'm sure yeah you're gonna want to dig through this at the very least to just look through each panel and see like what are the weird character cameos that he's got that patara has going back in the in the background of these panels yeah. it's great it's it's, it's a blast now where would you rank this on our big old list adam where what's your what's your gut feel because we have one other mojo story on the list right now we're going to get a couple more 
But right now we have Mojo yeah. Mayhem from Excalibur. That's at number 19. I would say this is worse than that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is silly. It's 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 fun and it has a lot of uh, Easter eggs similar to the dupe story, but I do think it it belongs lower mm-hmm. on the totem pole. So, I'm looking definitely below Exterminators. Adam, you know my feelings on Exterminators. I know you want Exterminators much higher than where it is. Yeah, I think Exterminators is better. I think Inferno X-Men and X-Factor is better. I think, you know, We've been using Exiles as kind of like a, a bottom. It's, it's in the a lot turning of ways. point of this list. Yeah, so I would put it below Wolverine Snicked. I I would agree. I actually think I'd put it below that Claremont Dracula issue uh, above Exiles. Okay. Awesome. I'm in so agreement. Our new number twenty six right. on this list is Astonishing Tales Mojo World. And go pick it up. It's worth reading. It's got some problematic elements, but it's definitely it's like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's quick. It's quick. Each section is only a couple pages long, so you can read through it real fast. Do you know what else is quick? Do you know what else is kind of fun? Do you know what else has Mojo in it? (laughs) Uh, Jim Lee era. Yeah, Jim Lee era X Men Volume 2, number 10 and 11, where Mojo decides to do the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. This is so this is yes. the end of Jim Lee's run on X-Men. His very short run on mm-hmm. X-Men Volume 2. It's weird. Well, and that's that's super super apparent as you This read is a this. nothing story, um... right? Like <laughs> Longshot comes back. It's like oh, this absolutely. is this is the X-Men all get captured, get forced to play out the Wizard of Oz, and then at the end they all break free. There's a fight and Longshot finally kills Mojo and replaces him with Mojo to the sequel. Mojo, Mojo to, to the sequel, sequel. Um, <laughs> which is great. I, I do love. I, I have a, a special place in my heart for this. Um, I, you know, reading this, I, I, um, and and I'm I'm not going to rank this very high because um, this is clearly of an era when image is in mm-hmm. the background. You know. It's very clear, even from some of the character designs that are in these issues, that Jim Lee is already working on Wildcats. That has his priority. He's especially on the last issue. He is, you know, penciling. He's he's letting Scott Williams, you know, really pull the weight uh, of the issue. And he's out of there, man. He's out. Like there are certain panels that actually have like Mojo reaction panels that I think are repeated um, from page to page. So that influences how we read this story. I think a great deal. Um, I do think it's worth noting. This is actually the um, long shot and dazzler post siege perilous story. That's how long it's been since we really, we got dazzler like a one shot, um, you know, post siege perilous. Right, they're the whole deal where uh, she's been stalked by the fan, but this is the payoff of that story. Eh. So <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Wise, I, I don't know no. that it's a great payoff. Um, it's, this is it's such slight. a nothing thing. Like Mojo lives and dies on if a artist and a writer can say something with him. This is this right mm-hmm. here is the biggest use of Mojo's here. So we got to use a lot of movie and TV words. It's yeah. It's nothing. I mean, okay, Wizard of Oz riff. I get it. I don't care about it. And I also wonder if the editors realized that. Um, if they 
like looked at this and thought maybe this was going because I'm curious how Jim's exit may have affected the length of this story and or yeah. what they did with it. Um, you know, was there more planned? Because it is interesting to me that then you also almost simultaneously get the Shattershot annual story, which is a much longer and in-depth Mojoverse uh, tale that it holds up a lot better. We're not going to talk about that today. We can get into that on another episode, but you know, that has much more substance oh, than, than these two issues, which are like I, you said, I totally agree. Rough. I mean, and it's not helped that both of these issues have a backup story and like some extra stuff. They have uh, yeah. a story called last stand featuring Maverick. Maverick's the most image ass <laughs> looking dude in X-Men history. Like, it's Scott Lobdell writing it. It Mark. It's Mark Texaria doing the art, and the art's very good on this. I like the art. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's. I like the art too, but isn't the villain that yeah, he fights here never seen again? Boring. You know, it's it's a has no basis in anything. You know, it's it's, it's it just is. Maverick kind of shooting Maver- things. Maverick doing some um, guns. So that affects your page count even on on the actual uh, Jim Lee oh, side. Oh shoot! Of the guy he fights. This was not his first appearance. The, the guy Maverick fights. No, his name is Warhawk. Uh-huh. And he first appeared in Marvel Premiere 23 featuring Iron Fist. I did not know that. And he was in okay. Luke Cage number one recently. <laughs> okay, so this is... He was in the entire first arc of Luke Cage. Right. So there's a little bit of continuity. Like here. the most recent the most recent cool. one. Good for that guy. Uh, yeah. So he's very forgettable. <laughs> if you couldn't tell. Uh, but... Yeah, this is a nothing mm-hmm. story. I, I don't have much to say about it because there's not much to say. I think this being the climax of Mojo stuff, at Wait. least for the time, doesn't work for it. I don't think there's anything interesting happening with the X-Men here. This is just a whole lot of blah. Yeah, I, I one one shout out to I love uh, Dazzler's design. Um, I, I, I do like, you know, I do like her design in this Um I like the Shatterstar in joke at the end of uh, issue 11. Um, but yeah, not a lot of substance here. So I think we should probably just move to ranking it as there's not a, really a lot to discuss in depth here. I mean, <laughs> I, I do want to point out the only other thing I like in this is that on the cover of, of issue 11, it says plus Maverick and the Xavier files, which I didn't actually know when I was sitting at my, <laughs> you know, breakfast table this one day and said i should start a website oh don't feel too bad buddy it's okay i don't think that was a regular feature for it's, very long. i know everybody everybody in this era of 90s is like keeping secret dossiers on each other you know everybody has uh there's a yeah. lot of dossiers <laughs> you know everybody has a strife strike file somewhere in a file cabinet it's great <laughs> all right so where do we want to put this okay so this is worse than Astonishing Tales Mojo World. Oh, yeah. Because I actually want to talk about Astonishing Tales Absolutely. Mojo World. I, I, I'll even give Fatal Attraction some some points here. I mean, I think that has more going on. Good, I this. thought we were going to have to no, find that. No, I don't know. I thought I was going to have to find that. No, this can go pretty far down. Honestly, I here's where I'm looking. Here's where I'm looking. I'm looking 
at the 30 to 32 range mm-hmm. the x-men number one deadly genesis no more humans i think this is coherent so it's better than new mutant summer special okay. no matter how many people apparently love that oh, thing i love i love the new mutant summer special uh i want to go back and look at it i don't necessarily want to read it that is my distinction on that one uh and that's no uh, no condescension to uh, Miss Nascenti, because I think she's amazing. But it's, no. it's I think Anna yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm comfortable putting it below No More Humans. Uh, you know, which I think that's fair. I think that's pretty fair. This is going to be our new number thirty three, X Men Volume Two, ten and eleven. So actually, since we're speaking about Nascenti and mm-hmm. Mojo, uh, fun little anecdote here. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think the beginning of September, or no, beginning of October, uh, me and friend of the show, Luke Hare, went to Columbus Comics Crossroads, or Comics Crossroads Columbus. It was a show in Columbus, Ohio, and one of the guests there was Anne nice. Nesenti. And yeah, she talked about a lot of fun stuff, including uh, how she thinks that Mojo is essentially Donald Trump, which not to get crazy political on hmm. here... But that made me laugh mm. a lot. That that got some good giggles from the audience. Turns out the liberal indie comics crowd ate that up. <laughs> and I I, uh, I think that you know I don't know if that's a perfect metaphor. You know I actually no, enjoy no, but uh, it, Mojo's antics as opposed to the real human being. Uh, if if that's what, yes. how you want to describe that that person, um, but, <laughs> but I think it's an interesting parallel for sure. You know having. Yeah, do you know, do you know who else was at no, that who? show? Chip Zdarsky was. Interesting that you mentioned that because uh, it we is. do have one more story as part of our show today. Now this is a weird one for our show. I want to say Adam brought this up, and I said okay, yeah, because this is Howard the Duck, Volume Six, numbers nine through eleven, written by Chip Zdarsky, the National Treasure, with pencils by Joe. Kinones. This is so, like, look, Howard the Duck's not an X-Men character. I can accept that. But this is such a mojo story. It's not even funny. And let's not let's not discredit this. This has some major X qualities to it, including an entire X-Men Sentinel, Sentinels fight scene uh, in, in uh, episode issue eight. Um, so there is some big time X-Men stuff here. Uh, the other one is the yeah. super babies, uh, photo studio, <laughs> which has the baby versions, which is an X, yeah, which has yeah. the baby, uh, Wolverine and baby Charles Xavier photos, like real babies as <laughs> these characters. It's delightful. It has the iron punisher yes. who is a sentinel mixed with the punisher who only wants to feel love. Yeah. And, and, uh, gets, gets to, um, bring a cat home at the end of the day that's his resolution <laughs> a cat who may or may not be from uh the uh grant morrison and frank quietly series we three yeah it's very similar right it's it's uh it's got that, got yeah, that yeah, that's, that, on it. that's supposed to be a cat from we three um, yeah it's great maybe we should talk about why this is a mojo story because uh this is very surprising i think maybe to howard the duck fans <laughs> who might have been reading this story yeah, yeah. I mean, you you suggested it. What do you uh, what do you think about well, it? Well, I I thought about it immediately because um, essentially what happens in issue eight is that um, Howard the Duck reconnects with uh, Bev, um, who was you know the the series sidekick, 
who then was played by Leah Thompson in the very terrible George Lucas produced Howard the Duck film. But at the end of eight, Leah Thompson, the the person uh, who exists in, in uh, I guess, Marvel 616, comes... She's Flash Thompson's uh, aunt, I think. Oh, is is that established? I, I didn't catch that. Is that in there? Yeah, yeah. They, they mentioned that oh somewhere. God, She's related great. to Flash. Um, yeah, because Aunt May knows her. Because Aunt May knows her. Yeah, and Aunt, Aunt May is Howard the Duck's detective agency receptionist, if yep. I got that right. Okay. Yep. So Leah Thompson yep. comes to Howard the Duck detective agency to... Un- to, to figure out the mystery behind what seems to be this, these missing chunks of time where it turns out that Mojo has been using Leah Thompson and a character, a, a someone in a costume that looks identical to the Howard, the duck, uh, uh, guy from the movie and filming Howard the Duck scenes for the Mojoverse. And then there's another level behind that because there are alien versions of Marvel Studios that are hiring Mojo to to create these scenes and to kind of ruin Howard's life. It's so yeah, they're good. they're writing it. Like the the writers of Howard the Duck the Life are a guy named Chip and a guy named Joe, mm-hmm. and they have co-workers like Ryan, who is Ryan North, and he's charming. Erica. <laughs> and Erica Henderson, and their new co-worker, Tana Hesse Coates. Oh my god, that scene is so great. I love it. I love it. And then Axel like, Alonso appears at the end as sort of like the, the, the benevolent overlord to, to fix everything in the last bit. Oh, it's great. This is so this this works on several levels. One, it wraps up every stray plot line from the Chips Darsky Howard the Duck series. Mm-hmm. So it works really well as a closing to this. It also does what a good mojo story should do and pulls back a layer to tell something about stories. It, you know, it's very metatextual. It does a lot of stuff like that. And this is unlike X-Men Volume 2, 10 and 11 which was just, hey, TV exists. (laughs) This is telling stories about, like, these characters and how they have to continue on forever and ever in the endless cycle of, you know, monthly comic books, how they have to find a way to continue, how they can never really have resolution, never really have peace in their stories. They just have to keep going. Yeah. And there's going to be lulls. There's going to be good. There's going to be bad. Uh, the thing I absolutely love about Chip's writing, and I, I think it's um, similar to what we see with what Ryan and Erica do with Squirrel Girl um, and what we see um, even in uh, Moon Girl, um, which is another favorite of mine. All three of those series have had sort of a cartoony quality to them, but they play with the Marvel Universe in fun ways that you don't necessarily see everywhere else. And I love, I I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the fact that at some point um, in issue number nine, a male version of Spiral shows up for a quick cameo. (laughs) Helix? You're talking about Helix? Helix. Helix. Uh, Oh my goodness. Like, that's the kind of inventiveness that I absolutely love uh, when writers and artists pull off and it works so, so well. Um, oh, he's perfect. Yeah. Helix is great. It's literally just spiral, but as a, like a hunky dude, yeah, hunky dude. He's it's great. I love it so much. Oh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, 
And you know, the, the resolution of this story just, it just piles things on top of things. And, uh, the resolution where we get these aliens as the Marvel, uh, writers and artists talking to each other. It's so funny. It's just a really, and, and just, you know, aside from all the in jokes, aside from all the, the layering, it's just a really good story. Um, Mm -hmm. it, it works very well. You get real character depth with everybody and there are some actual X-Men elements. Um, I really love, uh, I mentioned the Sentinel X-Men fight scene in issue number eight, but (laughs) there's like a one panel where Wolverine just takes down a Sentinel. I think it might be the iron Sentinel, uh, that, that then plagues them for the rest of the storyline, but he has one line of dialogue and it is just bub. (laughs) That's it. He flies through him and says bub and that's it. Uh, (laughs) it's great. All right, look, Wolverine only ever needs to say snick to him bub. Yeah. So well, that and that's out canon, is that that he, he it's not a sound effect that he just says it isn't that a uh... I mean look look Ju- Jubilee <laughs> Jubilee said that and Jubilee was probably joking but yes. I want to believe it yeah, I want to believe a nice little touch so yeah. um I think we're in agreement that this is outstanding um, it's a very very good story it has yeah. one fatal flaw for our purposes which is that it's not like there's not an X in the title and that hurts yeah. it. Yeah, and I, I I threw this out there uh, on Twitter the other night because I, I was a little bit confused in thinking about how to even approach ranking this because it is it, I I wanted to talk about it in the context of this because it's a very good Mojo story, and if you like Mojo yes. stories, you gotta check this out. Even on its own, if you don't like Mojo, it's awesome, but it has that uh, that it's got the special Mojo stuff that you want. Um, but I don't know where to put it on the list. Yeah, so here's here's what I'm thinking. We're, we've used Exiles 1 and 2 as our dividing line for a very long time. I think it's better than that, because I think this is a good story. Oh my god. I, and this is the other issue I'm having with this. I think that Zdarsky is really good. And reading mm-hmm. this story as a whole, I'm looking at this and I'm going, this is better than a lot of stuff that is on our list. And, you know, I I don't, I don't know. Like, should we put this on the list? Should we rank this or should we? Well, I think we have to rank it because dang it. It's on the show. We're talking about it. And our list has to be divisible by three. It's going to really bug me when it's that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's (laughs) like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. The list has to be divisible by three. Okay. So So we've got to then give it a deficit for not being an X-Men story. And that'll be what pushes it down. I, I think it is. I think that's what you have to do. Like, there's there's X-Men stories on this list that I like better than this. I think, like... Oh, yeah. Our top ten I like better than this, for example. Uh, from, yeah. like, the dupe issue down mm-hmm. is where I'd get a little fuzzy. I think where I would put it is uh, Ultimate X-Men is probably a better X-Men story than Howard the Duck, even if the Howard the Duck one is very good. Okay. I like where you're, I like your thinking there. That's good. So 21. Yeah. Is it better than Inferno? People are already mad at us about Inferno, but it is our list. You know what? I think we need to stick to our guns that we are not like the biggest Inferno fans. And I think we should put it at 21. Good. Howard the Duck. Inferno be damned. (laughs) That's a good pun. That's a good pun. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Oh man. 
So, How I Got Duck is now on the list at number 21. And you know what? Our list has 39 on it now. And do you know what's cool about that number? Uh, please, share. It's divisible by three, which means I, we're done yeah. with the episode. <laughs> we're, at, we're at the you, end point where we wrap up. You say the catchphrase. Well, look, we still have to promote all the things that we do, like Patreon.com, which has supported this episode and this whole podcast. If you go on Patreon.com slash Xavier Files, like our good friend Nir did, you can donate a couple of bucks. That helps pay for Zencaster, helps, you know, keep hosting going, all that fun stuff. And you can get your own selection put onto this list. And we will probably just craft an entire episode around it, a bespoke experience. Because <laughs> it's easier that way, we like it better. It's more yeah. fun to talk about things with a theme. We're finding that out 14 episodes in. Yeah, it works. Yeah, so uh, do that. If you can't support financially, monetarily, you know, support us morally. You can, you know, just say hi to us on Twitter, like me, at Xavier Files. Or you can go to, like, you know, iTunes or Google Play. Leave a review. It really helps keep things moving here. Helps helps more people find the show. Uh, beyond that, you can go to XavierFiles.com, where every week I have a new X-Men article. This week, we have just finished talking about Richter. Who is mm. a very interesting guy. Star of of, uh, of the Gifted. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. I was about to, uh, you know that's a different dude, right? <laughs> I love that Even they're doing they that. Even if they act a lot the same. <laughs> oh, but Mr. Wreck, where can people find you on the internet? All right, guys. You can always uh, follow me at Arthur Stacy, And uh, you can check out drawings and illustrations at adamwreck.tumblr.com fantastic well that's been a very exciting very mojo heavy episode but i i really liked it i thought it was a good time loved it great i don't think we're getting canceled uh, I, no i think we're gonna survive let's let's get those ratings up guys <laughs> let's get those let's get those ratings up hey i'm i'm zach that's that was adam this has been battle of the adam i hope you survived the experience get it Wow, I'm you just dropped an F bomb. Yeah, I'm going to bleep it. Are we bleeping it? I'm going to bleep it, but I figured that it's better to bleep it in the middle of the thing than. Yeah. Anyway, this is podcast talk that's not actually yeah, but... the podcast. This is background. <laughs> uh, but so, I mean, that. Uh, blah, blah, blah.